I've been here since the beginning, and I'd like to share my story. If this is really God's plan that they were going to put out a fleece of 10 days, in 10 days we had to have a, a pastor, a place to meet, and money to start. And <laughs> none of us were of any means that was going to make that easy. The um, president of the Bible College came. So when he sat down and listened to what our dreams were for the church, and, and what our doctrine was, it was just purely Bible. Uh, the Church of Acts, just like the Christian church was founded to be. Um, he said, uh, well, I'll, I'll come for two months. <laughs> so we had our pastor. And one of the best things was that the Mormons uh, let us rent that church for so reasonable and were very generous in helping us out. And, and, and it was just kind of like God gifted us with just what we needed that very first Sunday. We didn't have a Sunday school figured out, but we had somebody watching the young children. And because there was a little organ there and nobody else played but me, so I had a, <laughs> I was playing. God kept adding whatever we needed and people were so willing, they just simply did it. And we're going to start visiting everybody that comes that's new and that was what made it explode. You get experienced top door people that put the heart of God into everything and you got it. I mean, you know, it's contagious. We had grown so much we had to get some property and build. So the elders went out walking one night and they stopped. There were a bunch of sheep running around that place was pretty much you know, kind of farmhouse kind of thing. And they said, this is it. This is the big, so they knocked on the door and asked him if he'd sell. And essentially <laughs> he did. And that became the church property that we built on. We were trying to lay, raise a million dollars, I think, to um, actually be able to stay in the building after we build it. Well, we all went forward and or, or did our pledges and they totaled it up and we made it. We had given everything we had. They were following it. They were saying, oh, this is not going to happen and, you know, and everything. And so it was, it was big news. It happened. You know, missions was a major thing from the beginning. We did a wonderful job of, in the church, of making that a real reality. Missions was so prominent in our minds, in our hearts, and we had a, you know, kind of a, a feeling of being involved in that. Well, at first, wonderfully, it was just the young people. And that was really the best. They were, they were so good. They were enthusiastic. It brought 
dozens and dozens of young people into the church, excited about doing things, and, and the, so the families had to come and see them perform. And all of a sudden, we were just we, booming. When it wasn't big enough, they built a bigger one. <laughs> but it was also going to draw people to the church who would never come otherwise. And, and it was an evangelism outreach. It's the Word of God that, that draws people. To me, it's just a progression of, of, and dedication and, and um, hearing it and watching it and, and feeling a part of something much bigger than yourself. And uh, I still feel that way. blank property with nothing uh, nothing there and we just formed that huge human cross that was a very meaningful thing it made reality out of something that was so hard to get to uh, you know raising the money and all that stuff it's uh, truly believing that it, it's God and God alone Christ and Christ alone we were the first uh, big church up in this end of the world, and it was it was kind of fun to see it spread out, you know. And other churches were starting to bloom and burgeon and stuff, and that's just just what we wanted. I see how much people are doing to serve the world, and it just blows me away. Serving the people that are right here that that need help and and uh, need a way to see it through and and figure out. Uh, what needs to be done and, and people beside them, you know, I mean, what more can you, than you offer than, than that. So now I'm in life groups and I, I have two wonderful, wonderful life groups that have meant so much to me. I've been alone for, I don't know, what is it, 30 years or something now, and, but it doesn't seem like that because I've never really felt completely alone. I am so grateful about of the way that the church taught my children in the Sunday school, everything. And um, they, they're all strong Christians still today. You know, I'm just so thrilled that, that um, I have that to look back on because that means everything to me. I just feel this is where, where God wants me, that I see him working and moving and and I, my roots are here. I just, I think I was just standing around doing my bit and, and watching what God was doing, and still I am. <laughs> but look what happened. I mean, it just, it's amazing. Fran uh, normally comes to our 920 service, but I think she is here at our 11 o'clock service today with her friend Georgine. Georgine, who also was one of the original 23. Would you guys stand up and let us honor you? We love you guys. We love you guys.
All right. Uh, awesome, awesome. Fran and Georgine are just giving me the entire history of Overlake right now. So, uh, <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you. And, and Fran and Fran's family is here and uh, love you guys as well. Georgine was the original choir director and they had 12 members of the choir. And so, yeah, you did a good work, both of you. Now, here, here's what you need to know. The reason why it's so fun to celebrate is because this is how it works in the kingdom of God. That as, as um, servants of Christ do what it is that God calls them to do in that season, that, that those who come along behind them, we're actually, we get to stand on the shoulders of the men and women of faith who have gone before us, right? And so it is an incredibly humbling reality that we get a chance to honor them and to celebrate them. So we love you guys. Thank you so much for what you've done, your faithfulness, your sacrifice, your giving, your serving. Thank you. Uh, this is a fun day. I, I want to start by giving a bit of a visual. Um, and so I'll, I'll show, this is a table that is filled with things that you would have recognized 50 years ago, okay? So 50 years ago, 1968, these are all things that you would have used. It's a, a record player and a camera and a phone and, and a, a newspaper. Um, this is actually a letter uh, with a stamp on it. Do you guys remember these? And um, a clock. And, and if you needed to find your way somewhere, you would have an atlas in your car that you would use. And this is, uh, this is the yellow pages right here. Um, these are encyclopedias. Raise your hand if you had a set of encyclopedias in your house growing up. Yeah, we did as well. And, and of course, uh, television. This is a Scrabble game and a calculator and uh, just books, you know, hard copy books and even a flashlight. And um, these are things that you would have utilized in 1968. And could you imagine uh, trying to carry this stuff around? Like, like if you had wanted to have access to this, you'd have to carry this stuff around with you all the time. It was just completely impractical. And, and yet today we, we do that, don't we? Every single one of these things is available right here. And, and I bring that up because I want you to see that it is true that things change, right? Over, over the course of time, things do change. And so often, what we see is that God is actually the one who initiates that change. That God is the one who actually leads his people through seasons of change. And so I want, to use, um, I want to use the ancient Israelites and how God was working in their life as a bit of a metaphor today. You remember that God brought them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out of their slavery. And then he led them, right? He, he led them through the wilderness. They actually wandered in the wilderness for an entire generation. And then what God did is he brought them to the Jordan River. Do you remember this? You can, this is in Joshua, chap, you know, first few chapters in Joshua, that, that God brings the nation of Israel to the Jordan River, and then he is going to lead them across the Jordan River, because what's on the other side of the Jordan? That's the promised land. Okay, that's where he's taking them. And so what he does is he instructs the priests that they're going to actually lead the processional across the Jordan. By the way, the Jordan at the time, it was a, a rushing river. It was actually overflowing its its banks and would, you know, fertilize that entire Jordan Valley. Uh, it was very fertile land because the Jordan would always overflow. So this is like a, a massive rushing river. And God instructs the priests that they're supposed to grab the Ark of the Covenant. Do you guys know what that looks like? You've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they, they grab the Ark of the Covenant and they are to begin to walk 
with this heavy, heavy, you know, uh, you know, beautiful, it represented the tangible presence of God. They were going to walk with it into the rushing Jordan River. And as they walked in faith into the Jordan River, God stopped the Jordan from flowing and the nation was able to walk across on dry land. So that's how they were going to get uh, across the Jordan. And that's where we pick it up. If, if you have your uh, Bibles, you can find this in Joshua chapter 4. It's on your notes. It'll be on the screen. It says, when all people, all the people were safely across the river, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell the men to take 12 stones from where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and pile them up at the place where you camp tonight. And then we keep reading, this is, uh, verse 20. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. All right, so if you're filling in the blanks, here's the first one, and this is what we want to do. We want to honor the past, but there's a reason for it. The reason to honor the past is to communicate God's goodness. You honor the past in order to communicate the goodness of our Lord. And so what are these stones for? They, on the, on the front, one hand, they're to remember what God did. He dried up the Jordan River. He dried up the Jordan just like he dried up the Red Sea. So we're to remember his act, but then to communicate it to the next generation. This is how good God is. This is how powerful God is. This is how God has moved on our behalf. You see, we want all the nations to know about the goodness of our Lord. We want the next generation to know about the goodness of God. And I want to pull up that picture uh, that Fran talked about in the video, the picture of the cross and, and the people who had lined up. Now, this cross is made up of people, but I want you to know churches are made up of people as well. Are they not? The church is not the brick or the mortar. The church is not the seeds. It's, it's not the, you know, the, the, the instruments or, it's, or the graphics. or you know, it, The church isn't what we see, the tangible stuff. The church is the people of God. And this church happens to be in the shape of a cross on this very property that we are on right now. And what's interesting is as they gathered on that day... They gathered really to consecrate the ground. And many of you were there on that day. And there was, they, were, they were praying over this land. And they were praying over this location as a, a gathering place for God's church, for God's people. And, and the reason why I show this to you is because, friends, God is still answering those prayers today. Lives are still being transformed. Hearts are being set free. That God is in this business of, of transformation, and he's still doing it. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So what I want to do is I want to give you some statistics really quickly. We'll just buzz through these. And these are based on conservative estimates over the last 50 years. OCC has welcomed at least 6.5 million people to Sunday services, more than 2 million of which have been children. Uh, 500,000 plus guests have been impacted by the outreach of Overlake's Living Christmas Tree musicals. 
48,000 biblical counseling sessions, tens of thousands have come to faith in Jesus because of Overlake Ministries. Several ministries have been birthed out of Overlake, like Seattle Urban Academy, Prisoners for Christ, Eagle Outreach Ministries, Angel Tree, uh, Baki Graduate University, Special Delivery. 682 short-term mission teams have been sent, mobilizing 7,000 people roughly to serve globally. 242 long-term missionaries have been sent out by Overlake, serving in over 80 countries. 2,500 girls and women have been impacted positively by our anti-trafficking work. Uh, we've been directly involved in 5,900 churches planted and supported tens of thousands more. Uh, 1,290 social impact projects have been completed through teams and partners uh, of Overlake. Thousands of vulnerable children cared for. Our HIV AIDS education and intervention for over 10,000 students and adults. And over 75,000 leaders have been trained uh, by members of Overlake. So that's a lot of stuff that has happened through God's church called Overlake. There's a lot to celebrate there. Yeah, and I want you to know that Overlake has a high and a noble past. And also, like every 50-year-old, we've got some dark and some difficult seasons that we've come through. Just in terms, of, you know, a little bit of perspective here, the church universal for the last 2,000 years also has a high and a noble past, and it also has some dark and difficult seasons. And the reason why I bring this up is because when we talk about honoring the past, some of us have a little bit of fear. Oh, I can't do that because it contains difficulty. It contains heartache. There's some tough stuff along the way. Here's what you need to know. You need to know that honoring the past simply means this, that for the times that God has led us into high and noble and victorious seasons, we give him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And for the times that God has met us in difficult seasons, for the times that he has carried us when we didn't even have the strength to walk on our own, we give him all the glory and honor and praise for those as well. So it, it, that's why this is actually really important for us to do. To honor the past is a way in which we can communicate the goodness of God. And I, and I want to tell you this idea of communicating, you know, the Bible actually calls us to be ready to share the reason for why it is that we have faith in God in the first place. This is what it says in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Isn't that cool? Always be prepared. It sounds like a slogan of a, a scouting organization. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Amen. You know, I'm saying, and we do communicate a lot with our lives. We communicate quite a bit with our coworkers. We communicate quite a bit with our, our family members, with the next generation. You know, I, I was thinking... I've been a little nostalgic this week, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but I, I was thinking about when my son Caleb was five years old, we had this day, it was just a time with daddy and, and son, daddy and boy together, where I taught him how to shave. He's five. I taught him how to shave. And uh, so we sat there, you know, in front of the mirror and got all lathered up with shaving cream, and then I gave him a razor. I kept the plastic guard on. I'm not a bad dad, Okay. So I gave him this little, you know, razor with the plastic guard on, and, and then I shaved. I showed him how to shave, and, and then he, you know, scraped the shaving cream off with the plastic. And, and so we, you know, we just had this time together. And then afterwards, after we were done, 
He looked up at me and he said, I'm practicing on being a man. That's what I said. <laughs> and it, it just was this beautiful moment together. And I was thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's true that we communicate things like shaving practices or football team preferences or political leanings. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff that we just kind of naturally exude and we share with our children and we pass on to the next generation. But I just wonder, are we sharing the right things? Are we emphasizing the right things? Are we telling the story of God's goodness to us? God's goodness when things were great and we were walking in blessing and victory and God's goodness to us when he met us in our need, when he carried us, when we didn't have the strength to walk. Is that the story? Are we ready to share the reason for the hope that we have because God has blessed us? And we want to we wanna communicate his goodness to the next generation. Okay, so the question is, what is it that God calls us to memorialize? Well, let me suggest a few foundation stones, like the stones that Joshua had his people grab. Here, here are three purposes that we have and that we will always embrace at Overlake Christian Church, and you might already know them. They are love God, love people, and serve the world. Those are our purposes. Those are the things that we find clearly God is calling us to. We, they are purposes that we will continue to go after with all of our strength. And, and the reason why is Jesus. So let me, you're like, oh, great. Yeah, you'll see. It's, he's the reason for all of the good stuff. So when somebody asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? He quoted a, a command in Deuteronomy. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Love God. That's ours. Then he said, the second is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from Leviticus. And, and, and so that's the second. So love God and love people. These are what Jesus has identified as the greatest commandment. So that's what we're going to say. As his church, that's what we're going to go after. And then the third purpose is also from Jesus. Jesus who said, the son of man, he was referring to himself. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so all three of these purposes are rooted in the person of Jesus. They're his purposes. They're what he lived out in his lifetime. So that's what we want to go after. And I just, I joyfully say this because these are our purposes unapologetically. This is what we want to be known for at Overlake Christian Church. And for some of you who are just checking this place out, you're like, oh, great. You know, you love God and, and you want to be a part of a church that loves God. You're like, oh, great, that first purpose. I'm right here. You know, great. You, you, congratulations. You're in the right spot. Uh, maybe you're here, though, and you're like, oh, you know what? I, I actually, I'm not really interested in loving people. And I get that. But I, I just got to tell you, you're in the wrong church. Because that's what we're going to go after. A lot of other churches don't love people. you find those. But our church, we're going to unapologetically go after loving God and loving people and serving the world. Because that's who God has called us to be. And then how are we going to do that? How are we going to try to fulfill our purposes? Well, the next two fill-ins are these. They're worship first and outlandish love. That's how we're going to fulfill our purposes is by worshiping first and loving outlandishly. So here's what I mean by that. Worship first. That means worship is going to be our first response. It will be our first response in terms of chronologically. We're going to do it first as a response to whatever we're going, we're going through in life. Worship is going to be a, our immediate response, but it's also our best response. It's also our highest priority. So it's our first and our best 
response to whatever's going on to worship first. And then outlandish love, this again, it's just coming from who Jesus is because Jesus has loved us outlandishly. He has loved us so much more than we have deserved to be loved. Jesus is the one. I mean, we sang the song earlier. His love for us has been reckless, and his pursuit of our hearts has been so thorough and so complete and so steadfast. And and at times, we even push him away, and he continues to come after us in love. Right? His love is it, it, what motivated everything for him to leave heaven and to be born in a stable and to live in poverty and to serve consistently and then to die sacrificially, all of it for our sake. Before you ever thought to call out on the name of Jesus, he has been calling out to you your entire life. Right? That's why he has loved us outlandishly, so we choose to love others with that same intense focus and wild abandon. And friends, I do want you to know this, that we take Jesus very seriously, but I hope you know we don't take ourselves all that seriously. I hope you know that, that we, we just can't. We want to make sure that the focus is on Jesus, and we're just a bunch of knuckleheads going after him. And in fact, just to illustrate this, we have a video. Here's some of my own sort of not very dignified moments of ministry life. Go ahead and watch this. Said, hey, 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 Ninevites, listen, everyone. Hey, hey, Ninevites, this'll be so fun. Unless you turn your ways, unless you get on board, Ninevite will be destroyed. I said, hey, hey, hey. You're crazy for this one, Guys, guys, seven years of seminary. They never once told me this was going to be part of the equation. Can we find another way to enter the series, please? You're welcome. So, so what we want to do is we want to honor the past and we want to use the past as a way to communicate God's goodness through all of the seasons that have come before. But, you know, we can't live there, right? That's not what it's all about. It's not just about honoring the past. And even this experience with the Israelites crossing the Jordan River, it wasn't only about honoring the past. It was also about embracing the future. And so that's what we want to do as well. We want to embrace the future that God has for us. Because for the Israelites, you need to know that the the Jordan River was a finish line of sorts. It was a true finish line, that they were done with wandering in the wilderness. No longer would that be their story. So it ended that season. 
but it also began a new season. It began the new season of entering into the promised land and entering into God's goodness in that context. In fact, I want you to see this. I want you to see in Joshua 4, 11 through 13, it says, when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. Circle the word ready. Were ready for battle, and the Lord was with them. Circle that. The Lord was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. So I want you to see this. They were ready and suited up. They were embracing the future, future territory and future armies to face and future battles to fight. And so they they were ready. And there was risk involved in this, as there is risk involved in every good endeavor that we will ever put our hand to. I found this quote this week. One of our elders shared it with me. Uh, It says, one does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. See, there's always risk when the future is embraced. But notice, they weren't risking alone. They weren't going alone. They weren't traveling alone. What did the scripture say? The Lord was with them. And that's true for you and me. That's true for us, Overlake, as well. And then notice this in verse 18. As soon as the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground... The water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. So so again, the the, the rushing river, uh, you know, picks right back up and it overflows its banks. And and what did that mean for the Israelites? It meant this. There's no going back. The pathway is now ahead. You are now at the very edge of the promised land. And the only way to go is forward. And I want you to remember that because sometimes we get a little tempted to, to we, we sort of look backwards and we think that the, those are the golden times and, and we view it all with nostalgia and we think, oh, if we could just return. Friends, you can't return. You can't go backwards into the past. There's no DeLorean parked outside and 88 miles an hour take you right back to Hill Valley, 1955. Like that does not happen and it will not be a part of what God calls his children to. So the past cannot be re-entered, but we do want to honor the past, and then we want to turn and embrace the future. And Overlake, you need to understand that the future that God is calling us to is a future with our sights set clearly on Jesus Christ. You need to understand that Jesus is the source of our purposes, he is, the, he is the, 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 the cause of our values, that everything we want to be about as a church, everything as individuals within God's church called Overlake we want to be about is a life with Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center, and that's the next fill-in. And we don't know what the future holds, but we do know Jesus holds the future. And that means we hold everything else loosely because we're not the ones in control but we hold tightly to Jesus. We hold passionately, embracing his love and his freedom and his life of excellence. And friends, I want you to understand, I am passionate about Jesus. 
Because Jesus is the only one who gave his life for me. Jesus is the only one who paid the full penalty for sin. He's the only one worthy to be both Savior and Lord. It's all because of Jesus. Our existence is because of Jesus. Our eternity is because of Jesus. And the life we want to live is all because of Jesus Christ. And I hope you know that Jesus is passionate for his church, that Jesus loves his church, and he gave himself sacrificially for his church, and Jesus builds his church. All these things are in scripture, and so I want you to know that as a pastor here at Overlake, I am passionate for his church as well. And I want to invite you to be passionate for his church as well. I want us to be passionate for his church because here's the bottom line. The bottom line is our culture is dark and our world is dark and there is fear everywhere, all kinds of hearts. There is fear lurking and there's darkness and people don't know the way forward. And Jesus looks at his church and says to his church, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, and you've got the resources within you to communicate the hope of Christ, to communicate the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, that all of this is available through his church for a world that is desperate and dying for it. And so I want us to be about that. I want us to make a commitment that we are going to continue to go forward powerfully with Jesus at the center you see, I want you to know that as we cross this 50-year mark, it's important to recognize that Jesus is not finished with us yet. Amen. In fact, the story that he's writing about his church called Overlake, I believe he has written the first page of the introduction. Amen. And the story is going to continue to grow, and it's going to continue to be exciting and dynamic and transformative. He is nowhere near done with us yet. And I, but it's going to take all of us. The story that he's writing is going to take all of us. It's going to take each and every one of us, uh, like Fran and like Georgine, that, that we are available and, and that we're ready to serve when we're called on to serve. We're ready to give. We're called on to give. That, that we're ready to share when we're called on to share and to communicate his goodness to everyone. It, it's just going to require us to be a powerful part of the story that he's telling. And you might push back a little bit, and you might say, well, well Pastor, it sounds great, but I, I don't feel strong. I feel weak in, in my faith. I, I feel weak. I don't feel like I could serve. I don't feel like I could share. I don't feel like I can give. And, and here's what I'm going to say. I, I, I hear you, and I want to say to you that on your own, you're right. And so, it, 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 you are weak, and, and so am I, without Jesus. But you see, once you've entered into Jesus and you've placed your trust in Jesus and, and you've said, Jesus, I want you to be at the center of my life. I want you to be at the center of my decisions. I want you to be at the center of my relationships. I want you to be at the center of how I look at work and how I look at finance and how I look at home and all this. I want you to be at the very center. When you've said that to Jesus, the Bible's clear that he comes and dwells within you. That the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within you. And friends, that's all the power you will ever need. See, the scripture says this. Talking about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 13, it says, Though he was crucified in weakness, talking about Jesus, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. We are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. So what this verse says is... The same power that raised Christ from the dead 
dwells within you. And that is the power of God's spirit inside of his believers, inside his children. And so we have all the power we need to do whatever it is that God is calling us to do in the future with Jesus at the center. And you might ask, well, what does that actually mean, with Jesus at the center? There's actually a little verse I put on your outline. This is what living with Jesus at the center means. Here it is. Our aim is to please him always. Amen. That's what it means. That our aim is to please him always. So, friends, let's go after this beautiful vision together. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, aiming our lives to please Jesus and bringing him at the very center of our decisions, our theology of everything. Let's let it all be about Jesus because, friends, for eternity, Jesus is the only one worthy of our total devotion. You know, as I close this series on Jubilee, I, I was just thinking, why, I wonder? Why is it? We've talked about how God called his people to pause. That was week one. And he gave them commandments around pause. And then, then last week we talked about his, his heart of celebration, and he commands his people to celebrate. And then today we see him calling Joshua to memorialize, and, and that's a command from the Lord. So I was like, why is it that God calls his people to pause? Why does he command his people to celebrate? Why this call to memorialize? And as I was processing that this week, I really felt God speak to me. I, I, he doesn't want his children to miss it. He doesn't want his children to miss him. You see, it's, it's absolutely true that life is busy and it's full and, and we rush around and we're trying to get the kids where they need to go and trying to pay the bills on time and trying to move forward in our careers and trying to make sure that the household's being taken care of well and, 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 and the sports teams are going well. and like It's just full and there's all this stuff and we're rushing around and life is filled with bustle. And if we don't pause and celebrate and memorialize, we could just miss it. I've been a bit nostalgic this week, and it's, uh, I, I know exactly why. It's because yesterday, my wife and I, actually our whole family, took my daughter, Alex, my oldest, uh, over to her college campus, and we helped her move into her dorm room. And it was a, it was a beautiful day. It, honestly, I felt like God's grace was just over the entire day. And so there was, there was joy in it and there was laughter. Uh, everybody, you know, getting along. And, uh, it, you know, the brothers even hugged my daughter. And that was beautiful. And so it was a lot of good stuff. And, but I would lie to you if I tried to hide that there wasn't a lot of emotion as well. And just so you know, her campus is not even that far. We didn't, weren't going across the world. We weren't even going across. She's 12.2 miles from our home. So it's like, <laughs> all right. But it was the first time that her home is now different than my home. And it just felt weird. And so I'm just thinking about that. And so I've been nostalgic and I've been thankful. I've been just trying to do what we talked about already, honoring the past, embracing the future. But I did remember an experience that happened when my daughter was just three years old. And my, uh, her brother was only one, and my youngest wasn't even born yet. And, 
and it happened to be on a, like a Wednesday night, so a church night, and my wife and I, we were off different directions doing the different things that we would do on a Wednesday night, and so Jody had grabbed the boy, and she was jumping in the car, and I was with Alex, and I was strapping her into the back seat, buckling her into her car seat, but the babysitter was in the front, so I'm talking to the babysitter, coaching instructions about it, and it just was this kind of a family whirlwind chaos moment, and, and I was talking, and I was moving, but I was actually thinking about my responsibilities for later in the evening. Evening, so I wasn't even present in the moment. And, and in the midst of that bustle, I felt a tiny hand stroke my cheek. My daughter had just reached up and she just rested her tiny hand on my cheek. And, and it startled me. So I stopped moving and I stopped talking. And when I stopped moving and I stopped talking, I also realized that she was whispering. And so I leaned in. And what she was saying was, beautiful, beautiful. Daddy's so beautiful. Friends, I, I think that in that moment, God was telling me something. And I think it's the same thing that he wants to say to you today. See, the reason we stop. And the reason why you celebrate and the reason why you memorialize is so you can hear God's whisper over you. And you can feel God's gracious hand on your life. And what he is saying is you're beautiful. You are so beautiful. And because of Jesus, it's true. I don't care if you feel beautiful. I don't care if there are voices in your life telling you otherwise. The voice that is the truest thing about you declares that you are beautiful in him. And so Overlake, that's my challenge to us as we jubilee. My challenge is that we do what it is that he asks his children to do, that we lean in that we listen to his voice, that we feel his touch, that we accept his declaration that we are beautiful in his eyes, and friends, that we embrace the future because the best is yet to come. Why don't you bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the way that you have been gracious and kind, the way that you have pursued us through all of the days of our lives. Thank you for the reality that what we see and feel and experience in this life is actually not what is most true. What is most true in this universe is your love for us and your pursuing of us, and, and who we are in you because of your love. So we embrace this truth today. We embrace your grace over our lives today. Jesus, we invite you to be the very center of how we make decisions, of how we treat our friends and our family members, of how we uh, deal with money and career and everything else. We just say, you are at the center. And because you have so outlandishly loved us, 
we want to make it our aim to please you in all we do. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for this season of Jubilee, and we declare that you are the reason for every good thing. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.